When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's Wednesday, the pot of tea is on the go, and we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we bizarrely call the noughties, and we're going to take a deep dive into the football of the time. Welcome to the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast. And today what we've got for you is the 15th anniversary of Middlesbrough kicking off their Europa League slash UEFA Cup campaign group stages in 2005, that famous cup run. We've got a new feature called The Table Never Lies when we look back on past league tables in the 2000s. But first, the Allen and Kerbishley endorsed Charlton Athletic Premier League spell. So where do we begin? But the 1930s. Charlton's time in the top flight was sparse to say the least in English football. They had successive promotions from the Division 3 South as it was known back then to the top flight in 1936. They'd spent 20 years in the first division, seven of which were, inter- seven of which were interrupted by the Second World War. And a few years back in the late 1980s, and they finally returned in 1998 under Alan Kirbishley. They would of course immediately go back down, but immediately returned. They brought in long-term defensive options in Radistin Kishishev and Mark Fish, as well as Klaus Jensen for midfield, who would score absolute pearlers from time to time. Most notably, I think, against Manchester City, if I'm not misremembering that one. They finished ninth, um, which was their best finish since the 1950s as it went, um, but it wouldn't be their best under Alan Kirbishley. Um, Premier League consolidation followed. They got four wins over Chelsea in the um, in the early millennium, and they won at Highbury in November 2001 and at home on New Year's Day in 2002. Back in the day, I sort of you, you get these teams where you sort of forget about them and they sort of slip under the radar. And I forgot they existed from time to time, as you know, often some mid-table clubs do and some lower league EFL clubs seem to do. For me at the moment, um, it's Burnley. Burnley could be one at the minute. Last season, probably Watford and Bournemouth prior to their relegation. It's probably a sign of um, a club stagnation. And these teams in the EFL, I would say like Fleetwood Town, sort of teams that you don't seem to recall if you're 
a nerd and you do those sparkle quizzes when you got a name the 92 EFL clubs and Fleetwood doesn't spring to mind almost immediately unless you're like from the from the northwest and um, in Blackpool and Fleetwood etc so I asked our followers um, if there was any club that they forgot existed in the Premier League and we've got a few suggestions here from first from Harry who says Charlton Athletic which obviously just spoken about Charlton Athletic being in the Premier League uh, Lelouch says Reading Reading a fine example and um, they had that good season in the Premier League in 2006-2007 under Steve Koppel um, second season syndrome went out of the Premier League without much fanfare I think they won on the final day in the 2007-8 season scoring four goals on the final day um, and they were in the Premier League in 2012-13 season can you remember that? no neither can I um, Hull one for me especially in seasons such as again like Reading had the, that one season in the Premier League in 2016-17 like who on earth remembers that Middlesbrough perhaps um, until the 2006 Europa League run and and times when uh, they would beat my team Manchester United seemingly on an annual basis at Riverside around the Christmas period I remember one that one that's probably most famous for Roy Keane's Debacle uh, and how he left the club in 2005 uh, with Joseph Desiree job always seemed to score. Um, yeah, but until the Europa League run in 2006, they were one for me. And again, Bournemouth, Watford, Burnley, etc., etc. But we pushed on with Charlton and 2002, 2003, they beat Leeds and they beat Liverpool. They had, they had a strong core of a team. Chris Powell, probably their most famous player from around this time, I imagine. Uh, Dean Kiley and Net was always. Um, Always a solid goalkeeper, a source of fun for me and my friends as we always used to try and recreate his saves which were sort of like, especially one for the cameras um, with Dean Kiley. Always used to get those fingertip top corner saves. Uh, Jason Yule was fantastic up front for a time as was Kevin Lisby. Paul Koncheski, a long-term fullback, was fantastic too. Um, got into the England squad because of his form in uh, South London. Scott Parker, obviously, in Chelsea's time of if you can't beat them, Sign him and and Scott Parker and, and his Charlton team beat them in the 2003-04 season. Um, in a season where Charlton had their best um, season in the Premier League era, they signed Matty Holland, Paolo Di Canio. In that time when they had that All Sports jersey, that um, All Sports red red jersey in the Premier League, they finished seventh, just six points behind the Champions League. And um, what Charlton fans would um, gift to have that back right now. They didn't have Europe, mainly because Millwall's runner-up um, spot in the FA Cup that season when they got all the way to the final, beating Sunderland in the semi-final. Lost to Man United in the 2004 final, 3-0. Middlesbrough's winning the League Cup. We'll get back onto Middlesbrough in a couple of minutes' time. And that meant that with those two berths gone, because in that time the FA Cup runner-up got into Europe, and Middlesbrough finishing outside the top six and seven. It meant that Charlton wouldn't get into Europe and they haven't been back to Europe since. Um, they signed the likes of Francis Jeffers, Dennis Romadal, Danny Murphy, Darren Bent coming in and they, they had a continuation of that fantastic team, but they stalled. They finished 11th in 2004's five season and then despite five wins from the opening six games, finished 13th in the 2005 six. And that season would be Kirbyshire's final year, unfortunately, at the club. Darren Bent scored 18 Premier League goals, finding himself in England contention all of a sudden ahead of the World Cup. But Kirbyshire's 15-year stay at the Valley was over. And the club after that sort of tanked without him. They rattled through Ian Dowie, Les Reed and Alan Pardrew and were quickly relegated. They were in the third tier by 2009 and have since bounced between the Championship and League One. 
dipping in and out of financial difficulties. Uh, they've just, just under, undergone a new ownership, which effectively saved them from the brink in recent times. We're controversially relegated, you might say, in the summer, and now we're in League One. Had that promotion a couple of years back under Lee Boyer when it looked as though they were starting to uh, come back to prominence. And the question I'll ask um, everyone today, with Charlton's promotion only to the Premier League for the first time in a while in 98, does the time that you grew up change your mind about a club standing? So I started watching football in 1998 with the World Cup and started supporting Manchester United, as I think I've previously said on the podcast, mainly due to David Beckham. So I caught the back end of Nottingham Forest and Coventry who would go down in 99 and 2000 um, respectively. I didn't understand there was two clubs in Manchester at the time because Manchester City um, weren't in the Premier League and there wasn't much wasn't much exposure to the Football League. Obviously that would change with the disastrous ITV Digital um, in the first part of the millennium, if anyone remembers that. Um, I thought Charlton were a big Premier League club. They played quite well. They had good, t- good players, Ewell, Powell, as I've mentioned. Um, perhaps younger people would have the same perception of a of a Wigan who did quite well when they got to f- finished tenth in two thousand and six uh, of a Reading in two thousand and seven. You know when the club comes up and they have that sparkling season, Swansea, who cont- Swansea more so than the others that I've mentioned because Swansea had a continued run at the top. They won a trophy obviously uh, before getting relegated in twenty eighteen. I think it was Hull, etc., etc. The list is sort of endless, really. And perhaps older people than me would have the same perception of uh, Wimbledon, who rose to prominence in the 80s, won the FA Cup, obviously, and spent quite a long time in the top flight before being obviously relegated in 2000 and then subsequently merging and moving to Buckinghamshire, which we won't talk about. And Luton Town, who I haven't, I didn't really twig until recently that they could have been in the Premier League's first ever season, but got relegated in 1992 because they scuppered. Manchester United's chances of winning the title for the first time in a number of years. And both of those clubs really enjoyed big runs into the top flight in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Millwall as well were in the top flight as late as the late 1980s, Notts County. But of course, traditionally, historically, uh, quite a long-tenured club. Now not, not now non-league, of course. Uh, but they were in the top flight in the early 90s, I believe. But reach out to me in the comments section if there's any clubs that you thought were like more or perhaps less than what the... What they are like, Nottingham Forest is probably a big one nowadays because they've been out of the top flight for such a long time, 21 years and counting. Derby County, um, not been in the top flight since 2008. Um, I think it's, it says a lot about the time you grew up in and how big a club actually is in your mind. Because with Charlton, traditionally, I mean, they've got an FA Cup under the belt and they've had that time in the straddling the war and being in the top flight for the most, uh, for the longest time, really. And this was in the 90s and 2000s was their second longest period in the top flight and I thought oh, a big club and probably in growing up and realising the history of football a lot more they, their stature diminishes or it might increase with like say Nottingham Forest Derby etc so I'd like to know your opinions of who you thought were a big club but now actually actually they aren't really with relegation to Championship League 1, League 2 non-league etc after this short break we'll be talking about fantastic run in European football and the Middlesbrough team of 2006. Are you a massive football nerd like me? Do you like quizzes? If you answered yes to the both of these, then I'm pleased to tell you about Teammates, a sponsor of What If Football and the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast. 
climb the divisions, win the cups, all by linking teammates. A spring chicken with no knowledge of when football didn't exist before 1992? Try the modern section. Too old and not up to date with your Mbappes or your Camavingas? Try vintage mode. It's a football quiz to suit everybody's needs. At teammates underscore app on Twitter, teammatesapp.co.uk for monthly quizzes and merch, and teammates on the App Store. Look for the red and blue football, teammates. It really is a quiz like no other. And we're back, and off the back of a joint second post-war best league finish of 7th place, akin to Charlton like we spoke of before, Middlesbrough were back in the big time, the big time of European football, and an elimination in the UEFA Cup at the hands of eventual finalists Sporting Lisbon had them prepped for another season at Europe's secondary table in the UEFA Cup. They'd already won a League Cup, as previously mentioned earlier on in the episode, in 2004 when they beat Bolton 2-1 in Cardiff. They returned to the UEFA Cup that way, and for the first time, they'd returned to Europe on the basis of their actual position. So my question is, was it perhaps Middlesbrough's best time as a football club? They'd won the second tier twice in the 1920s, they'd won the second tier in 1974, and they'd returned to the top flight in 1995. They'd won such great competitions as the Anglo-Scottish Cup in 1976, but in actuality, 2004's League Cup win over Bolton was their first, what I'd call, trophy, really. Um, the 90s nostalgia of Juninho and Fabrizio Ravinelli and Brian Robson and his half-and-half half suit and shorts and football boots in his uh, reveal announcement uh, in the mid-90s probably gets more attention with the you know the 90s nostalgia that's more probably more rife um, in the past uh, half a decade or so and they did appear in three successive domestic finals in this time frame let's not forget the 1997 League Cup final where they lost to um, Leicester and a Steve Claridge extra time winner and they reached the another cup final that same year, do, repeating a feat what uh, Sheffield Wednesday did in 1993 by reaching the FA Cup final in the same year in 97. And like Sheffield Wednesday, they would lose that final to Chelsea in that absolutely stunning Roberto Di Matteo goal inside about 30 seconds, which is just phenomenal. Um, in the following season's League Cup final, they'd also lose the final and also lose it to Chelsea. They would go down, obviously, thanks to that debacle with the... Um, with the postponement when a lot of their players got injured or were ill and Brian Robson didn't want to fulfil the fixture, got docked three points, it ultimately cost their time back in the Premier League, but they returned and obviously now join us in 2005. They qualified for that quirky little five-team group stage in the UEFA Cup. They'd already beaten Greece's Skoda Xanthi in the qualifiers and they'd beaten, or at least got to the group stages alongside Grasshoppers, Dino, Dnipro, Azad Altmar and Litech Lovech in the groups, which was quite a quite a simple group, but they did have to go out there to Ukraine and Bulgaria in difficult trips at the time. Um, they didn't concede a single goal throughout group stages, which is phenomenal for really for Middlesbrough. Took ten points to win from four matches, and in the knockouts, the <laughs> the the win percentage wasn't great. They'd won four and lost four, but that, to put it bluntly, doesn't tell the entire story. They nabbed away goal wins over Stuttgart and Roma. And that's not even the dramatic bit. Stuttgart and Roma, obviously, they'd won their league titles in their respective divisions in the previous 15 years, which is, you know, says it all really. But the trident of Yakubu, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Mark Viduka, as well as Massimo Macaroni, really, who was crucial and vital with late goals in this run, where was they, that far were just irresistible at times. They'd crossed new frontiers. They were in the Europa League quarterfinals. They'd gone one better than what they'd done last year and they were playing Basel. Basel who of course beat the likes of 
Liverpool ran Manchester United close in the Champions League a couple of years back. Uh, taken a few scalps on the way, got to the second phase, the last 16 at the time, and they lost 2-0 in Switzerland, did Middlesbrough, and it looked as though the run was over. Basel with an up-and-coming team. However, they shipped a third goal at home, did Middlesbrough, and it looked as though that was definitely, that prophecy was coming true. They needed four to qualify. So, remember that quartet of players that I mentioned just a moment ago. Mark Viduka got two. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank got another. And Massimo Macaroni with the last minute winner put Middlesbrough through to a European semi-final. These were the heady days of um, Thursday nights on Channel 5 and it's the UEFA Cup, for me at least, has probably never had the same excitement before or since, really, from a neutral perspective anyway. Um, Stauer Bucharest were the semi-final opponents. Kind draw, really, but they had faced the likes of Stuttgart and Roma who were... Historically, traditionally bigger teams. Um, Stau Bucharest were coming off the back of a Bucharest derby in the quarterfinals. So they'd already had their sort of quote-unquote cup final. And Stau Bucharest won 1-0 in Romania. Took a two-goal lead at the Riverside, which, you know, it's one thing to lose the first leg by a couple of goals and then get one goal in the away leg or home away leg for Basel. But then for Stauer to go 2-0 ahead on the night, back at the Riverside, it was an even bigger task. So the same was as of the groups did, as of the quarterfinals, Middlesbrough needed another four goals and they pulled one back before halftime once more. The same scenario and it, as it turned out, it was the same outcome. Mark Viduka scored, then Chris Riggett. And so they found themselves needing a goal to qualify and again, the final minute and again, Massimo Macaroni. And for me, it's one of the most astonishing runs to any cup final in any sport perhaps definitely football Steve McLaren's side the they were going to Eindhoven they were facing Sevilla and it was going to be guaranteed a first time winner of the Europa League so unfortunately this is where the story changes and a sliding doors moment perhaps for a what if maybe in the future Sevilla began their own journey scored four and won the first of now five after this summer First of five Europa League titles. And I asked, put it out to my followers on Twitter, is this the most dramatic run to a cup final or UEFA Cup final in history? Now, it's not the UEFA Cup, but my first suggestion was Bradford City in the 2013 League Cup final, of course, beating Arsenal on penalties, beating Aston Villa home and away. A couple of penalty victories in there as well. Beat Wigan, another Premier League team, the likes of uh, Watford as well and Burton Albion. And we had Croatia as a suggestion from the 2018 World Cup, which, again, three lots of extra time. They should have been absolutely knackered in a, in a truncated, condensed t- tournament like a World Cup and not been really one of the bigger teams at a tournament. Like, you'd expect a... So you've had Argentina in 1990. They got to... They won two successive penalty shootouts and got through it all right. Um, it's, I think Italy got to a couple of uh, extra times in 94 as well. Help with from Roberto Baggio there. Um, Croatia won two penalty shootouts in a row, like Argentina in 1990. Got to the final via an extra time win against England, obviously, as we cannot forget in the semi finals, and of course, then got obliterated in the final, but that's uh, by the by. Um, I find this Middlesbrough run in 2006 a bit similar to Fulham's from 2010. Both in that they were just both two middling Premier League sides and Fulham got dramatic wins as well, no more so obviously than the last 16 win against Juventus 
they went behind early on, like Middlesbrough did on a number of occasions in this run, and the late winners against for Massimo Macaroni against Basel and Stour Bucharest was seen with Clint Dempsey's winner. <laughs> Juventus, yeah, they were missing key players, but each Juventus, the name alone should have had them um, losing the match before kickoff, and then Fulham would obviously beat Hamburg in Hamburg and then go back to Hamburg for the final where they fared a bit better than uh, Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough would of course lose the 2006 UF Cup final to Sevilla 4-0. Um, Fulham took Atletico Madrid, so a bigger team probably in the grand scheme of things compared to Sevilla at the time, but the goals from Diego Forlan took taking them to extra time, they ended up winning the Spanish team for 3-1. And other Europa League runs as sort of... Um, Remember from years gone by, Ajax in 2017 beat Schalke in the quarterfinals in the 120th minute. They suffered an onslaught against Lyon in the semi-finals, but got through. Dnipro in 2015 beat Ajax on penalties. Late win against Club Bruges upset Napoli in the semi-final, which you know is a fantastic achievement from Dnipro, a Ukrainian team getting to the a final of a, a European tournament. Really, Athletic Club in 2012 murder ball Bielsa United, Schalke Sporting. Locomotive Moscow on away goals. Unfortunately, Kane was stuck in the final. Like all of these teams, actually, including Braga in 2011, who stunned Liverpool, another shocking win akin to Fulham's against Juventus, Middlesbrough against Stuttgart or Roma, perhaps. And away goals win over Dynamo Kiev, beat Benfica, uh, got to the final against Benfica, but lost and like Middlesbrough. Steve McLaren would leave for the England job, and Middlesbrough inherited Gareth Southgate as manager and they have never returned to Europe or the top half of the Premier League actually and got relegated in 2009. They returned in 2016 with Aitor Karanka as manager but uh, quickly returned to the Championship after one season back in the top flight akin to Hull City's season in the Premier League as we spoke about earlier. Uh, one of those one season things that you just sort of forget because they've they, it's not notable because they've already been in the Premier League for quite a bit, quite a few uh, occasions and it's sort of just like passes you by like QPR in 2014-15 example. Um, they currently have Neil Warnock in charge or at least they do on Tuesday as I write this with not not going to sack him or he's not going to resign or whatever but and they only addition to tier 3 and to league, to league 1 thanks to Warnock's appointment. Would they have continued that rise with McLaren? <sighs> Who knows? I don't think they'd have got relegated under him at least. McLaren of course would go on to win the Eredivisie before doom spells with Wolfsburg, Derby etc etc etc. Borough probably would have enjoyed mid-table mediocrity if I'm going to do a quick quick flash what-if scenario for you here. Um, and yeah, uh, unfortunately, Southgate, his first job in management really, probably learned from it and as such, England might not have got to the World Cup quarterfinals in 2018. So, Middlesbrough fans, would you rather England get to the World Cup in 2018 or be a Premier League team now? So, let me know in the comments. We'll be back after this with a brand new feature. And that brand new feature is the table never lies. So in this feature, we take a league table from today on a day in the 2000s. And today, we may as well start in 2000. Today, 20 years ago. The Premier League saw such results as Manchester United beating Leeds 3-0, which Man United fans could only dream of this season, let's be honest. Uh, Bradford City lost 2-0 at home to Ipswich. Charlton got a 1-0 win over Middlesbrough. Nice little uh, synergy there with the two teams we've spoken about. 
Combining in a match with Matthias Svensson scoring the winner, Chelsea put six beyond Coventry. Liverpool got a 1-0 win against Leicester with Emil Heskey scoring against his former club. Everton won at St James's Park through Kevin Campbell. Spurs put three beyond Derby and Arsenal won at West Ham Upton Park as it won that was then. Villa and Sunderland would draw on the Sunday and Manchester City got a win at Southampton on Monday Night Football. A rare victory in that season compared to these days anyway. So... The league table as we see it there, Arsenal and Manchester United both on 21 points from 10 matches whilst the likes of West Ham, Bradford, Derby occupy the relegation spots. Coventry and Derby would struggle once more. Derby would only just escape relegation. Coventry, you know, they perpetually seem to be in a relegation fight and see, I think they were in 10 relegation battles in the, across the 80s, 90s and 2000s. They would go down and it was three cities that would go down this year. Bradford City, second season syndrome, of course, after surviving on the final day of the previous season through David Weatherall's goal against Liverpool, which we've spoken of on this podcast before. Coventry City went down, and Manchester City, who had high hopes, they'd um, suffered in their two Manchester derbies throughout this season, but we've backed down, only to return immediately, of course, where they have remained ever since. Um, they had a fairly strong start, let's not forget. Um, lost that Manchester derby a couple of weeks from now, 20 years ago, David Beckham free kick in the third minute, if I remember correctly. And some of the teams that are in this on this picture right now, Ipswich, of course, we've spoken of, had that fantastic run to fifth place in 2001. Sunderland not far behind them in their second season, finishing seventh in successive seasons. Ipswich, Charlton, Sunderland, they're all in tier three now. Bradford in tier four. The lowest team ranked, I believe, at the time of um, me talking these words and saying these words to you, I think they're 13th in League 2 at the minute. So they are officially the lowest ranked team from this picture, from this table that we see right now. Coventry only just come back up to the Championship after a couple of years in the wilderness, to say the least. After ground hopping to Northampton, to Birmingham, where they currently are now, in and out of the Rico Arena. It's been a fairly dour 20 years for Coventry since relegation, really. And looking at the other end of the table, Manchester United's lead would grow infinitely. They killed the title race in February, thrashing Arsenal 6-1, hat-trick by Dwight York. And Leeds, we see ninth place. I, th- I don't think they've really moved as much because <laughs> they are in around that area now. They have, of course, been from league, from the Premier League to League One, back again. They've only just returned this season. They've just been to the new Camp as we... Uh, Look at this table right here. They got beat 4-0 in uh, Barcelona, but would return to beat AC Milan 1-0. Drew to Barcelona later on this week after this after this win, after well, after this defeat at Old Trafford, rather. They were sufficiently distracted for, by the Champions League, really, and would, of course, make the semi-finals of that tournament, losing to Valencia, unfortunately. And as we see there, Leicester City, fifth place... Uh, probably don't remember Leicester City as being this like massive team in 2000s Martin O'Neill had a strong team there getting to the good cup team let's say um, they would get relegated the season after and this was only their second defeat of the season there with 16 points from 10 games they were first for a period of a couple of weeks but um, they would fall to 13th after 8 losses in a row at the end of the season unfortunately and to be fair the table didn't come to lie much at the end of the season, with only Manchester City drastically changing positions from 10th to relegation. Chelsea would recover to the top six. Charlton would sort of middle around there, as with Spurs, who of course now 
would you would say one of the biggest teams in England, if not Europe, um, in the top six for the most part anyway. Aston Villa only just returned to prominence for their in 12th there. Everton, of course, having the season of their lives at, at the current time of um, production. But we'll be back with another table that may or may not light next year from the 2000s. Will it be the Premier League or will it be somewhere further afield? You'll just have to find out next week. We've got a teaser to round things out after this short, short break. We are back. 2000s trivial teaser time. It's time to leave the comfortable inertia of the footballing world for all its diversion. And a shout out, a well-deserved shout out goes to Tim Goodwin this week, who got our teaser from last week. He was, of course, Steve Sidwell a central midfielder who played under Jose Mourinho, Felix Magat, and played alongside Michael Balak, Andrei Shevchenko for Chelsea, John Anarisa, Hugo Radiega, and Fikayo Tamore, the latter of which at Brighton, with Risa and Radiega at Fulham there. So today we're venturing away from central midfielders for the first time in a couple of weeks, and we're going to a left-back. Carlo Ancelotti has managed him, as has Paul Jewell. So already there, a huge gulf in managerial um, acumen, let's say. He's played alongside Jimmy Bullard, Emil Heske, Thomas Graveson, Yakubu Aigbeni, and Alexander Iwobi. And again, huge, huge um, breadth of footballing ability, footballing journeymen. If you know the answer... Please let me know in the comments section or tweet us at WhatIfFootball, where that is where we reside on Twitter. That's all we've got time for today. Next week, we'll be talking about Obafemi Martins, as it's his birthday next Wednesday. We'll be talking about Inter Milan's dominance from 2005 to 2010 on the podcast, as well as another league table or from years gone by. Elsewhere on the channel, we've got a tier list looking at the 2010's best football managers, Throwback to Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest. We're also going to be looking at Roma, Jeff Hurst, Romario, and in our video game review, ISS Pro Evolution. You don't want to miss that. It's got a fantastic commentator. Again, at what if underscore YouTube, let us know in the comments section what you thought of today's episode. Give us the right answer for the teaser. And until next week, we'll see you later. Network.